Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be encountered, your forgiveness experienced, and your love revealed. Amen. Amen. We have to have meetings at our house. Not just about who did what and what we could do better. Not those kind of meetings. Not the come to Jesus family meeting. But the family calendar meeting. To put down which kid needs to be where and when, and which adult has to be at work and where and when. And sometimes my wife's work takes her out of town. Sometimes what I do takes me out of town for different meetings. And it is a crazy schedule. But we have to sit down and have those times so we can come up with an action plan. It's been said if you want to know somebody's heart, and what somebody values. If I want to know your heart and your values, I need two things, your calendar and your bank statement. <laughs> Think about it though, where you invest your treasure and where you invest your time tells me a whole lot about you and what is important to you. If I could look at your calendar and see your action plan. This is why there's conferences on time management because we have so much that's important to us. But as we continue this Jesus Revealed series, as we actually wrap it up today, this Jesus Revealed series, and if you missed the first seven parts, you could go to our website and find those or our Facebook page and find those because when we look at what Jesus reveals about God, Jesus reveals about the heart of God, and if we call ourselves Christians and followers of Christ, it is to become more like Christ, to have that same heart that Jesus had, we need to see what Jesus reveals. In today's gospel lesson, at the end of Mark chapter 8, in the beginning of Mark chapter 9, Jesus reveals the action plan. He gives you the calendar. And it starts with figuring out who Jesus is. Mark tells us that Jesus and the disciples enter the region of Caesarea Philippi. You don't need to know much about Caesarea Philippi. I'll tell you it was a bustling Roman-controlled area, very prosperous at the time of Jesus. But what you need to know about Caesarea Philippi is not only that it was this booming city, which we can get here in Mount Juliet and Lebanon and Nashville and understanding what that's like. But what's the name? Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea named after Caesar. Caesar, right? The king, the emperor, the person in charge. And Philippi named after one of Herod the Great's sons who ruled in that area. We have his son Herod who rules in Judea, who we're going to encounter again in Lent. But we also have Philip. So it's named then after sort of the local king and the emperor who would be seen in a sense as the king of the kings in the Roman Empire. And so as the disciples are in this territory of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus then asks them, who do the people say that I am? Oh, maybe John the Baptist, which is funny because they've seen John the Baptist and Jesus in the same place. 
Elijah, just saying one of the greatest prophets. You've got to remember, Elijah never died, and that's going to come back up in our text. So you have John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. The Greek term Christos, Christ. Or the Hebrew term, meaning the same thing, Messiah, God's anointed. And when he makes that claim that he is God's anointed, that's what you would do with the kings. Like when David is anointed to become the next king of Israel. You are the chosen one, and then you are anointed by God with the Spirit of God, and they would mark that with anointing oil, but you are marked, you are anointed as the king. And I think we can miss that political statement that Peter makes in Caesarea Philippi. Philip's not king, Herod's not king, Augustus Caesar is not king. Not truly. Peter says, Jesus, you are the one true king as the son of God. But then Jesus says, okay, and as king, here's how it works in my kingdom and here's what the king does. Here's the action plan. So Jesus is king, gives you the action plan. And what would we expect the king to do? What would you do with that kind of authority and power if you were the one true king? Try to take over the world. Right? Because that's your rightful place. But that's not what Jesus says he's going to do. He says he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be rejected. He's going to suffer. He's going to be crucified and die and be buried and on the third day rise again. And I wonder if the disciples even get to that on the third day rise again. Because Peter has just declared Jesus as king and Jesus says, okay, here's the action plan for me and those in my kingdom. We give up our lives even to the point of death. And I think then we better understand Peter when he wants to take Jesus aside and go, no, 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 no. That's not what the king is supposed to do. That's not what the king does. And then Jesus has these harsh words after revealing that action plan, has these harsh words for Peter. Get behind me, Satan. It's the same term here that means come after me or follow me which he originally invited Peter, Andrew, James, and John by the sea. We had that in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, those same terms. Remember, you follow me. And it's a harsh term, and I, we always say in my family, we don't call names, <laughs> right? That, that's, that's out of bounds. You've gone beyond the boundaries when we call names. But Jesus uses this term here not to belittle Peter, but to remind him of the one who went against God. <clears throat> Your way or God's way? What he is laying out there, he is revealing, you can either follow God's action plan 
or Peter's action plan. You can follow Carol's action plan or you can follow God's action plan. You can follow Jane's plan, Ed's plan, your own plan, or God's action plan of giving up your life for others. Because that is what Jesus is going to do. When we move into the season of Lent, our next series, The Way, it's all about the way to the cross. And this is a beautiful transition because Jesus is revealing the way. But there's so much going on. So six days later, and on the sixth day, so tying into the story of creation, they go up the mountain peak where you would feel closer to God. I used to live near the mountains. You go to the top of a mountain, and it really, you do. You have that beautiful overlook. Some folks see it at the beach. I see it some at the beach and the vastness of God's creation. But you see the beauty of creation from the mountaintop, and you do. You feel closer to God. But Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. Those three are known as the inner circle among disciples. There's times Jesus has the disciples with the 12. There's times Jesus is with the disciples, meaning 70 of them or more. And then there's times that Peter takes, I mean, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Those three. And he goes up the mountain and he's transfigured and we see Jesus fully divine. And we hear almost those same words we heard at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. But instead of with him I am well pleased or I'm happy with him. The voice from heaven says, listen to him. And what did Peter just do? See, we have that six-day gap, but we don't have that as Mark tells the story. Listen to him. Listen to the action plan. Listen to what he is teaching. Not just everything he's teaching, but this part of the action plan, because this is how the followers of Jesus Christ live. There are three times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John specifically aside with him. Just those three, that inner circle as it's called. First time we had a couple weeks ago in our gospel. When Jesus goes to Jairus' house and resurrects his daughter, the little 12-year-old girl who was dead, takes the parents, Peter, James, and John, into the room where she had died, where her body was, and raises her up. Little girl, get up. That 12-year-old girl. And so they see, those three see that Jesus not only has the power over death, think about what that means. Not only the power to resurrect somebody, but when he's telling you he's going to die and rise three days later, you already see that he holds the power over death. The God that we serve, the God that we follow, says life doesn't end in death because God is the author of life. Then he takes the three with him up the mountain for transfiguration. 
That when he is transformed and you see him in his glory and his clothes become like that robe, dazzling white. It's why we wear white robes in church. It's why we put white robes on our infants or people when they are baptized. That baptismal gown is white. You ever wonder why it's white? Not just because we are washed clean from our sin. And so it's like being bleached to the max. The other people that wear white robes in the Bible, Daniel, as he shoved into the lion's den. In the book of Daniel, the three young boys, as they're put into the fiery furnace, it'll show up again in Revelation. After this, those under the altar who gave their life for Christ, It's the martyrs. It's the people who are going to die. So we see Jesus in his full divinity, Peter, James, and John there, and telling us this story later. We see Jesus in his full divinity, but we also hear the proclamation again just by his clothes being dazzling white. It's not only that he's in glory, but it's also letting us know in a sense that he's going to be martyred, that he will be killed just as he said. And then we see Peter, James, and John again as Jesus pulls them aside in the Garden of Gethsemane to come closer to where he is and pray before he dies because of that sacrifice that is coming, because of the suffering that is coming. And he pulls them aside and asks them, and we know they're going to fail, they're going to fall asleep. We're going to get to that story Thursday and Friday. Right, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Lent. But it's again to reveal the action plan that he is going to die and be raised. And that is the pattern of life, the action plan, not just for Jesus, but the pattern of life for any who would be called disciples, who would call ourselves disciples of Christ. Dying to self, alive in Christ. Deny their own will, take on God's will. Let go of ourselves and serve others because this is what love does. Love puts the self last and the others first. That takes that power that you've been given and uses it to help others. And you could say like me, sometimes I don't feel very powerful. I don't have a lot of power. I don't think I have a lot of power. I don't think sometimes that I have a lot of influence. But you do. The full power of Jesus Christ given to you as a child of God. The greatest power that God gives you is the power to love. And any of us can do it the power to serve, and any of us can do that. You can serve the people in your family. You can serve people in your community. You can serve people that you work with. Every day presents ourselves, presents us an opportunity to deny ourselves and live for others. That's why Martin Luther would say you should remember your baptism every day. 
because that image of drowning in the water, if I held you under the water too long, you're going to drown. That image of death and rising, new life in Christ. And it's a constant challenge to give up our own plans, our own desires, and live the action plan of Jesus Christ. But that's the life that God calls us to. And I will tell you this from personal experience. When I stop living Ed's way and do more of living Jesus' way, I am more alive than ever. You know it's true, because when you have served and helped someone else, and you go to serve them, and you help them with no selfish desire in it, you just go to help somebody, and you walk out of that hospital room or somewhere else, and you feel alive, because you have been doing God's work. God gives you that authority and power to be sent out into the world to serve others as we follow Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.